Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast, spin-off of the Surf and Sales Summit. We've been going strong since 2017. We've got a couple spots left this year for our events. Uh, the first one is for brand new people who've never come before, November 27th to December 1st. And of course, our inaugural alumni only week, Richard, where it's December 2nd to December 6th. And uh, there's some people who come three and four times. Yeah. You think that they're going to come to the alumni week as well? I think some of them are. I'm surprised one or two of them haven't. But I think if we get them to Saturday Night Live, like five-time blazer, you know, for yes. the five-time posting, they, they might show up. So Maybe that's what we need. Like your fifth time that you come to Surf and Sales is free or something like this. I'd be down for that. I'm okay. But we can offer that up. Yeah. I mean, I would like to go to Costa Rica for free, just totally. in general. So, Sounds like plan. We're uh, we're here today with the author of Break Barriers and host of Mile 40, Bashoy Tadros. And uh, we're going to get with him in just a few minutes. Richard's going to welcome him along with our sponsor, HubSpot. Yeah, um, super excited, Bashoy. This is actually cool. Uh, recording this in June, we just released an episode on his podcast, which was also really cool because... Um, he interviewed both of us together, uh, which we, you know, Scott and our, our egos like that, but it doesn't happen all the time. So it's a lot, of, it's very interesting when someone asks us a lot of questions. So it's a different approach. So definitely check out the Mile 40 um, podcast for our, for our good friend, Bishoy. Uh, also, thank you, HubSpot, um, for putting us on the HubSpot podcast network as well as the HubSpot YouTube network. Yep, our stuff's on YouTube uh, if you like to go and watch those things. Um, the thing we want to talk about with HubSpot is really because it's really eating the web, like literally, like it's literally eating everything it can absorb. <laughs> and that, while sometimes scary, is also very helpful. And that's the cool thing about HubSpot, uh, because I've got a lot of power tools to help you with content assist and chat spot. Um, they've got everything that's running off their the open G, open AI GPT model. So like their content assistant, it can help you write things. So if you're like, you know, Scott and I, we have to write content. Sometimes it's helpful. Um, I don't know that I copy and paste what a tool would give me, but I certainly use it to help me get started. And that's super helpful. Um, it also has a, a great chat spot, which is a conversational bot uh, and the CRM with CRM whiz that can automate all your manual tasks. Um, and Scott, one day when we get you off Excel and into somebody like HubSpot, it'll automate all those tasks you do in Excel. But, you know, that's a that's a heavier lift. So uh, but we are supporting us in the in the sales community. Uh, but great to see you again. You know, we just chatted a while ago. Um, you know, the book, again, just so people know, is called Break Barriers. And it is the host is the host of Mile 40. And. By the way, is it Bishoy or Bushoy? Correct. Bushoy. Bushoy. Thank you, yeah. and I apologize. No, you're me. okay. I always say it's like Bishop, but take away the P, put in a Y. Yeah. So, um, so tell us a little bit more about your background. Like, where is it, generally speaking? Where do you come from? As we have this conversation about sales, life, revenue, what what is your your background? Absolutely. Um, so sales for me has always been a lifelong business. You know, I, I don't look at sales as a career. I look at it as more of something that I knew that I had to do to get to where I wanted to go um, from just 
early on childhood. My background was I was born in Egypt when I was diagnosed with leukemia. My parents immigrated for me to get treatment. And between the ages of 10 and 13, I was an immigrant child assimilating. Essentially, nothing during that period was working, whether it was physically, because of the fact that I was under so much treatment, emotionally, socially, trying to assimilate. Um, nothing was really, really just kind of fitting. Um, and I learned early on that storytelling was going to be a huge part of how I got ahead. That, along with taking the lessons during that, that period and applying it to um, my life as I continued to go through the various stages of growth. Um, and, you know, while I'm sure we're going to dive into this, I didn't actually put pen to paper on any of that information until I was approaching my 30th birthday. I realized how it had formulated to get me where to where I wanted to go. And it finally got me to a point where I was comfortable enough sharing that guidebook, which then became Break Barriers. Scott, oh, you were waiting for me. You were waiting yeah. for me. Oh, yeah. okay. You're on mute, Scott. You're on mute. I know. I, I thought you were asking a question. Um, thanks for sharing the, the story. And for those who don't know, um, it's an incredible one. One of the things in my own journey that I found was that going through something like that did two things. It gave me a certain amount of strength to be able to fall back on, as well as an increased and heightened sense of urgency. Do you relate to, to those things or, or how else has it impacted your uh, life? Absolutely. You know, there is no asset more precious than time. And that's something that I learned at a very young age. And the three tenors that I lean on are patience, perspective and purpose. And I picked them up throughout that period as a young boy. Patience was the idea that you can't have the results you them. Just think about it. Being a young child battling cancer, wanting to go out to just play, to compete, to be like every other kid and being told essentially it's not going to be now. And, and having to understand that when, when you're only just able to handle so much internally. Perspective, the idea that you were given the cards you were dealt because you were built to handle them. You know, that was the way that my parents kind of reinforced the hand that I was dealt and, and basically instilled strength in me around the fact that, you know, things might get tough around you, but you've been built to kind of to tackle them. And then purpose, ultimately the idea of putting yourself in difficult situations, doing hard things. And from a business perspective, it kind of um, got me to be that person who could speak up in a meeting without feeling um, you know, that perhaps my voice shouldn't be heard. Um, and you know, I was set from a very, very young age to understand that if you put yourself in those difficult situations, at the end of the day, you're gonna see through those moments is gonna outweigh um, any of the potential negative repercussions. And um, throughout Break Barriers, I talk about, you know, multiple moments uh, of difficulty and, and trials that I just kind of faced head on, knowing that uh, it was better to embrace the discomfort. What's one of those barriers that maybe you're dealing with right now that you're trying to break through? Because the interesting thing about breaking barriers or going through these struggles is <laughs> we often think, oh, once I just get through this, like, now I can chill, smooth sailing. And inevitably, there's always some new thing that shows up. So yeah, the journey is never over, right? Yeah. At the, end of the day, um, you're constantly just unlocking new levels. And, and that's what I learned throughout this journey. And it was funny because Break Barriers, the book in that period of my life when it came out four years ago, 
was was really just a new level. You know, the story wasn't done once it got down on paper. Once it got down on paper, I realized that I had a new responsibility now, and that was to make sure that this message touched anyone that it needed to touch. Like the objective was, this was written to help people channel mindsets to overcome obstacles, whether they be personal, professional, or on the playing field. Um, And right now, for me, in terms of uh, barriers, if you will, it's around figuring out the right balance of um, growing this platform um, to reach uh, um, those out there who are battling their own uh, obstacles, um, while at the same time um, making sure that I'm continuing to grow and, and develop as a person and um, seeing through my own personal fulfillment and, and some of the things that I want to accomplish in life. Um, and so, you know, I want to make sure that people out there really kind of take away there is no end game. You know, I'll be playing this game until, until I'm no longer here. Um, and it's just going to be unleashing a new level. God, I think he just gave you your next life purpose, which is there is no end game. That is how you are. But you operate that way. Like you really do. Like, and, and, or you fear an end game. And therefore you just keep pushing like there is no end game because you're just not going to, you're never going to get to the fourth quarter. So yeah, I, I, it might, might be more in the fear. Right. Camp. <laughs> but, that, but that sums up you as, as I know you. And I, I think it's good because I don't have that. I'm, I'm much more in the, I just get to halftime. I'm ready to rest. So, um, so what is, so what is that, Bishoy? Richard's got this, like, I just got to get to halftime. I want to rest. Like, what is this barrier that he may have and, and how, you know, should he think about like trying to evolve from that and break through that? I believe the saying is rest if you must, but never stop, meaning that it doesn't matter how step that you take in the direction that you want to go as long as you keep moving, right? Like resting is one thing, but stopping completely is another thing, right? And, um, you know, in, in the book and, and maybe giving some background on why the podcast is called Mile 40, there was a chapter titled Mile 40. Back in 2017, before I ever shared my story, I decided to do a half Ironman. Um, and like I talk about in the book, growing up, I wanted nothing but to be an athlete. And because of my condition, I was constantly told that I can't. You know, I was the slowest guy on every suicide line um, and nothing was kind of coming together. I revisited it in my adult life and um, approaching my 30th birthday, I signed up for this half Ironman. It was 93 degrees outside in Maryland. And um, I I broke down around mile 40 of this race and salt all over my skin, completely dehydrated. Um, and I had for the very first time in my moment where adult Bashoy summoned younger Bashoy. And I said to myself, if he did what he did back then and he got through that, you can figure out a way to navigate the last 30 miles of this race. And what I did was I remember the, the lessons of celebrating small wins that my parents taught me when I was younger. And instead of looking at it as finishing 30 miles, I looked at it as finishing one mile 30 times. And I celebrated every single one of those individual miles until I got to the finish line. And it was kind of this moment of like, holy shit, like if I could do that, I could do just about anything. So mile 40, you can consider that moment where I, I rested for a second and then I realized I just can't stop. And if that means that I need to go one mile at a time, as opposed to thinking about it as 30 miles, that's the recipe for moving forward. And that's the recipe for getting to that next level. And 
that finish line was my next level. I, I take it philosophically that you understand all this, Richard. Is, is what, what is it about this? Have you maybe not tried or applied? Where does it still get stuck? And then I want to know from Bashoy, like, we got to fix them, right? You're all about breaking barriers. How do we work on this? Richard? Uh, what do you think my answer is? I don't know what your answer is, truly. I mean, I um, feel like everything he said, you're going to be like, yes, that's so true. I talk about that. I teach that. I've, I've done that in certain areas, but maybe I can't apply it in this one area. Yeah, I think, you know, this all comes back to my own psyche of the, the whole imposter syndrome thing, um, which I, I recently found out. Um, God, I haven't had a chance to tell you this, that I was talking to my psychiatrist about it. And he said, well, it's for kids with ADHD to have imposter syndrome because they're constantly looking for their mind to think about. And then if they focus on the negative thing, that it just over the years, you reinforce this negativity in your head, right? Which is really like, okay, that was, that to me was a really good, really strong starting point to what Bashoy is saying. It's like part of, you know, I was definitely sitting here going, yeah, but I'm just tired, man. I'm just, I'm ready. Like, you know, I, I'm tired of hustling. I'm tired of grinding. I'm also 54, so I'm a little bit older than both of you. Um, and even beneath that, well, why am I tired? Uh, I think it's because I didn't have some of the successes I would have liked sooner in my life, right? I had certain certain goals that I wanted when I was, you know, I expected at the age of 27 to be in my last relationship, not married, but in the last one. I had set goals to try and be a millionaire at the age of 30. I had set all, and I never accomplished them. And then I, you know, Scott, you know me, sort of going through some of the startup stuff, you know, where where I kind of figured out that it's easier for me to run my own business versus working for somebody else. Well, now there's this envy piece. Like, you know, Scott, like I, yeah. so I get he's, the fact that you have these three or four pieces out there that are, you know, if they pop, they're going to do well for you. And I've tried to rebuild that in some advisory stuff. Um, so that's where that piece is for me. Um, I will tell you one of the things I have been working on. I just read in the book, um, which is really trying to lean in more. Like I should really lean in more on positive things for other people rather than the negatives, right? I should lean in on when something good happens. You know, Scott, I should lean into that joy with you, for you, on behalf of you, and be glad that I got to watch this and be a friend to you mm. to see those things um, actually create more joy in me. Unfortunately, you know, and it's not a resentment or like, oh, fuck Scott. It's just right now I'm 53 years into doing it this other way. So, um, so how do we break this pattern to show? Yeah. Well, we're using, you know, we're using Richard as a, uh, yeah. no, no, listen, I, I think you are going through something that, you know, the other day I, I was telling my wife because I see my therapist as well. And the idea of imposter syndrome came up and I was telling my wife, you know, I'm a seven time marathoner, but I couldn't call myself a runner until I finished my seventh marathon, which was most recently in April. Like I, I didn't, I didn't embrace someone telling me that I'm a runner until I finished number seven because it was Boston and, and Boston made me feel like a runner. 
But before Boston, if someone called me a runner, I'd get uncomfortable with it. The other day, I had to go speak at New York Roadrunners um, and speak with the CEO at a at a fireside chat in front of their audience around break barriers. And I told my wife, and it's funny because this all just happened in the last week. I finally feel like I've earned the right to have that platform, despite the fact that I've built this for many years now. And I've had this book and I've had other speaking engagements and and so on and, and so forth. And so I, I don't necessarily think it's a switch with imposter syndrome. I do think that um, it is about leaning in, like you said, to um, other people around you and their experience and lifting them up um, and and letting that kind of fuel your own your own journey. I've been so invested um, in the success of other runners and, and other authors around me for the last several years that it, it took me uh, um, a long time to my own success, if you will. And even saying own my own success, to be honest, makes me feel un- uncomfortable. Like if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Um, but um, I, I do think that this game is it's not just about the individual. Imposter syndrome is very much something that we experience individually. Uh, but I think part of the remedy is focusing on the greater cause and, and, and realizing, uh, what the bigger mission is, um, and, and what the bigger goal is. Um, and, you know, for Richard, for yourself, you know, I think that it would be great to hit some of the targets that you want to hit from a business perspective. But I think it's even greater that you're going to be an example for someone like me who is a little bit younger than you. Um, and watching you go through what you've gone through to get to where you are is an example, uh, for individuals like me all, um, and, and that, that really carries a lot more weight than the goal in and of itself. And sometimes it takes the individual a while to accept that. Hopefully that all made sense, but I truly believe it. Yeah. I think, and I think I do those things. I think I do those bits and pieces. Um, I think I'm very good at. Um, supporting others, helping others. I think it's why I'm a, a sales trainer and people like me. It's why I do the podcast because I hope it helps people. I think my biggest block is helping me, right? There is value. I, and that doesn't mean I would stop helping others. But that, that does fill me with joy and pleasure to help others and watch them succeed. For me, it's, it's the internal piece of, you know, whether I'm struggling with my weight or, um, trying to, you know, get better at my diet or trying to um, do those things. Like I know all the right things. I've hired nutritionists. I've got meal plans. I've prepared food for a week. I've done all that stuff. And I just have this thing sometimes about it, or I just don't feel motivated or I feel demotivated or exhausted by it. And that for me is my challenge, right? Um, I think I'm good at the other stuff externally. And I think I do that pretty well because it actually helps me, um, ignore my own internal stuff. Like it's a good distraction. And so I need to figure out the internal stuff even more, which I've been doing for years, but you know, that's my current state in the last 90 days. No, I, I hear you. Go ahead. Sorry, Scott. No, I was going to pivot away from Richard's situation a little bit. He used this word distraction. And um, one of the things that's gotten a lot of play lately is, is whether or not uh, employees are distracting themselves by getting involved with too many different things, too many projects, too many platforms, this, that, and the other. One thing that uh, 
we haven't talked about is that you're actually an account executive in your day job. Yet you run a podcast, wrote a book, do all these things. How did you manage to continue to be effective in your regular job while also dabbling in other businesses and hobbies and all this kind of stuff? I, I appreciate you asking that. And so I'll give you some some background. Um, I've been at Salesforce now for four years. Um, prior to that, I was at JP Morgan for seven years. Um, toward the tail end of my tenure at JP Morgan was when I finally shared my story for the first time. So after that half Ironman and mile 40, I crossed that finish line. I unleashed that new level and I said to myself, I'm finally going to share this story. And so I decided to run my very first marathon that year. And in order to run the New York City Marathon, I had to raise money for charity to get my bid. I decided to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And at that point, mind you, I wasn't a marathon runner. I barely made it through this half Ironman. I'm clawing my way to the finish line. Um, and I wrote down my story. I titled it, The Comeback is Always Greater Than the Setback. And I just shoved it in my drawer. And the reason being was I was afraid that no one was going to donate. And I just had this very powerful moment at mile 40. And I said to myself, if no one donates, I'm going to look silly. A couple of weeks went by. I ultimately decided to show it to a mentor. He looked at it and he laughed and he said, Bishoy, you got to make your goal $100,000. And he gave me $1,000 and he said, go. A thousand turned into five, turned into 10, turned into 30. And I got a call from NASDAQ and he said, hey, we got a hold of your story. This is incredible. The marathon's next week. We want to invite you to come ring the closing bell. So all of a sudden I went from someone who never shared their story to three months later, having $30,000 in funds raised and you know getting this national tv attention and the funny thing and i was telling someone this story the other day working in a bank every tv has cnbc on but everything is like regulated you got to ask for permission to essentially breathe in a bank because there's just so much compliance and i said to myself look this is completely personal this has nothing to do with business i'm not selling any investment advice but i'm going to keep quiet about this so i kind of left work at like 4 or 4 30 <laughs> casually went to nasdaq rang the closing bell, came to work the next day, and they were like, you know, were you, were you going to tell us about that? And I was like, you know, because I, I knew that I, I had to do it. I say all this because that year went on to raise over $50,000 and became um, the top fundraiser for the New York City Marathon for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, and then I, I came back to work and I realized life was going to be different from here on out. Like I just had this incredibly powerful experience and I saw the impact that I could have on other people just by sharing my own personal narrative. I, I remember a week later, I got a call from UBS and they said, hey, we saw what you did. We saw you on TV. We want to come invite you to speak to our... And all of a sudden I was getting paid to speak at a competitor uh, about what I had just done and translating the success of fundraising to succeeding in a sales organization. So I started to see that, you know, I didn't have to be confined to just my day job for the fulfillment that I was seeking in life. And the story goes that about a year later, I was um, sitting at my desk. I knew my job inside and out. I was a top performer um, from a sales perspective. And I wasn't feeling as challenged as I would have liked. And um, my boss wasn't in the same state as me. And I Googled how to write a book at my desk. And then I started bringing my laptop to work. And during lunch, I would just type away. And I also Googled how many words you need to write to reach 100 pages. And that was 20,000 words. And so that took me three months to hit that 20,000 words. 
And that's when I got a call from Salesforce. And what I did specifically at that point in time was I kind of like rejuvenated my resume. I didn't need it to look like a banker's resume anymore because I really wanted to break out of the sector. And I had it colored, highlighted. It was, you know, really interactive. And at the top, I put a link on to my personal website, which was going to be the book cover. The book wasn't released yet. And I really wanted them when I got into that interview to ask about the book. I didn't want to talk about metrics. I didn't want to talk about KPIs. I didn't want to talk about sales because I had all that on the resume, but I just didn't want to talk about it. Uh, and fortunately, when I got to the interview, the first question they asked was, tell us more about this book that you're writing. And for me, that's kind of when it clicked in my mind. They said, I don't care what this offer is. I'm taking this job just because they asked that question. And because, you know, they wanted to know what was going on with me, the person, um, relative to the numbers. Where this story gets a little bit more incredible was that year was the same year that Mark Benioff published Trailblazer. It was uh, released in September. That December, I was sitting at my desk and I got a tap on the shoulder from marketing and they said, hey, we're sending out 100 copies of Trailblazer. We want to buy 100 copies of Break Barriers and send it out with Mark Benioff's book to our top 100 CEO clients. And I saw your look, Richard, and it was the same look that I had because they didn't know that I Googled how to write a book just a year before that. Um, and that for me was the next step in kind of empowering myself to say, you know, I'm Bishoy first. I'm an author. Now I'm a podcaster. And I'm fortunate to work for an organization like Salesforce um, where, you know, I can take care of my family, but it doesn't define me. And, and I've been a, a huge owner of that from day one around, you know, with me, you're going to get someone who, who could sell, who's good at sales, who could tell stories, who could be influential. With me, you're getting a lot more than that. You're getting someone um, who's looking to, to inspire, to evangelize and, and to build community. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that works for everybody, but that's something that I've kind of held on to strongly. And I think if you were to ask my peers around me, um, you know, they could say something to the tune of how I've distinguished myself in that, right? Yeah. This is that part where I'm supposed to lean in and feel really joyful. <laughs> joyful. <laughs> um, Which I really am like, there's, you know, you know, there, there is that, like, that is killer when things just happen through serendipity, right? Like that is really, really amazing and, and really cool. Congratulations, man. That's really, really cool that, uh, that you were able to do that. So, uh, or that that happened for you. Um, and I think that's, that to me is the right thing. Like that's the right thing to go. Remember that story. Remember that story of like, just do it. And the other stuff, I think I just sometimes get tired of doing new things. I think that's where my, my piece comes in. So I really, I really love that. Um, you know, I got to take a quick break um, and, and do one of our ad rolls. Uh, but then I have some more questions for you, Bishoy. Uh, again, wanted to give a thanks and shout out to the HubSpot Podcast Network. Um, if you didn't know, they actually have a podcast network. Bishoy, are you on there yet? You should submit your podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might be a conflict, but we'll have to take that one offline after this. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's fair. Uh, well, Salesforce should promote yours then. That would be cool. Um, but they have a ton of great podcasts on there, including, um, you know, one by Donald Miller called Business Made Simple. It takes the mystery out of growing your business. 
Um, and he actually had Seth Godin on, who's, I really enjoy Seth's stuff. I enjoy reading his content. Um, and the one he talked about is the solutions you need to lead in a post COVID workplace, one that we can all appreciate, uh, no matter where you work or who you work for or what your family's like. Um, and they talk about it and just this great song of significance, um, and, and learn how the new landscape of American and the work called the American work culture is happening. And what we need to do, and I think it's important for us as individuals to know it and then as for our leaders as well. So uh, thank you again to HubSpot for, for hosting us and putting us on the podcast network. We appreciate it. And now, Bushoy, back to you on another thought. Um, if you remember, your, how did you cope as a kid with this sort of difference you had right and because a lot of people that can hurt or put a kid into some level of and i don't mean like deep but sadness or depression with the difference thing how as a kid did you come through that and and then how have you related to that part in your life as you've gotten older you look you're absolutely right i mean I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that I was I was broken over and over again for a multiple multitude of reasons. And um, a lot of that was just mainly because as a kid, you, you can't really understand everything that's happening as it's happening. And so, you know, I remember um, wanting to play basketball and always being last on those suicide lines and not understanding why. because I was the first person in last person out. I worked the hardest. And, and, you know, someone explaining to me the, you know, the side effects of chemotherapy was not something I could digest at, at eight years old. Um, and so um, it, it was moments like that that happened over and over again. And and not even understanding why my parents, as as brave as they were, I'd catch them in moments where, like, I could see they, they felt bad watching what was happening as it was happening. And they felt a little helpless. Now I can understand it. Back then, I, I couldn't really uh put the pieces together but when i was 13 um i uh i, I had a, an intensive brain surgery to remove a golf ball size mass from my brain um wait, wait, wait. You went from leukemia to a brain surgery it was all linked so okay. uh, yeah toward the end of that period um they uh i started to get these really bad headaches i was nauseous and vomiting and and my dad insisted that I go get a CAT scan and then an MRI, and then they found this mass, and it was diagnosed to be a, a brain tumor. They went in and they removed it, and it ended up being a, a, a blood clot, essentially, um, right here in my right frontal lobe. And it was a very intensive brain surgery, as you can imagine. And actually, it was on my 13th birthday. Um, and when you get out of a brain surgery like that, your body is just so sensitive. Like they tape you up from like the top of your head to your toes, like because even breathing hurts in the recovery uh, from a from a surgery like that. And um, I remember being in the recovery room and like blinking over and over in pain. And I, I remember having this moment of like, this is it. Like, this is the bottom. Like, it doesn't it doesn't get worse. Than, like, there is nothing in my lifetime that could be worse than this. And once I came to that's where I kind of developed this mantra of break barriers. It, it was in that moment that I said to myself, there is nothing that life is going to put in front of me from this point forward 
that I won't figure out a way to navigate. And I applied it right away. I mean, I was going straight into high school. And to that point, like, I just struggled so much socially because of everything that I had been going through. And I said to myself, I'm throwing myself. I am going to, like, make friends, get rejected over and over again. I I talk about trying out for this football team because I went to this big high school on Long Island. It was like a Friday night light type of high school. And this team wasn't really a team that cut anybody. I got cut twice and tried out the third time. I just, I knew that I had to put myself in positions to fail in order to realize and and gain the capability to succeed. And that translated into my career. I graduated college in the heart of the financial crisis in 2009. All I wanted to do was work in an investment bank. And, you know, while other people could have kind of taken a sign of the environment and the times is to say, I'm never going to make it. My mindset was wired to kind of tell a story, to break break in the door. Um, and in Break Bears, I talk about how I navigated to a JP Morgan in the midst of the financial crisis. Um, and, and, and it was in that moment, you know, in that recovery room, enough was enough. And, and that was the bottom moment. I think it's incredible in so many different ways, but just to be able to go back and draw upon that moment that kind of rock bottom moment where where you're like nothing will ever be this hard again and apply that moving forward um i think more people should try to do that and i don't think you have to be going through anything as death defying and severe as what what you went through but when you are able to pull on that type of experience and that type of memory, suddenly certain things don't seem all that important or all that stressful. It's like, I'm at risk of missing my quota. Right. Oh, well, <laughs> it's like, do you know what a it is to be able to sit on my ass, make phone calls and try to hit a quota, yep. right? And again, it doesn't have to be to the extreme and God forbid, hopefully nobody is in that place but i've talked about that a lot it's like i go back to some of the things i've been through and it's like well nothing will ever be harder than that so you know it doesn't mean i'm happy all the time it doesn't mean i don't feel stressed but it does mean that there's something inside of me that i can go back to that gives me some sort of grounding effect and some sort of strength like you know i'm going to survive this and it's going to be okay Absolutely. Yeah. That's really good. Totally, totally. I'm, I am a lot of parallels between the two of you. Um, you know, I think, I think, um, only to poke fun at Scott because I like to, I, I, I think he beats you all. Yeah. I think he, I think he wins. I think he he wins. wins. It's very rare that somebody comes on the show and can out trauma's of health, but I think he's got me beat. Yeah. So this is that part, uh, where we turn around and and say, you know, what questions would you like to ask us before we wrap up and get out of here? What, what, Um, anything? Absolutely. I just want to say, like, what you guys have built is so necessary uh, for individuals like myself who've grown up in the sales world across industries. Um, The need to uh, draw parallels and to really humanize the sales, the sales motion. Um, And and so I'm I'm grateful for that. you know, you guys just came on my show, so I, I don't have a laundry list of questions, but um, I guess I would ask you guys, 
um, around the, the fact that we're in such a chaotic climate right now in the sales world. Um, you know, I, I to me every day kind of asking for advice about how to keep their head on straight. Um, you know, you, you talk about, you know, hitting quota. And look, that perspective hasn't changed for me, whether it's a good economic environment or a bad economic environment. I know where my perspective lies. I know what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have. And, and I, I always try to um, find opportunities in, in moments of chaos. That, that's always been my, my mantra. Right now, um, you know, if you had to speak to someone out there who is just a couple years into their sales career and kind of looking around and, and seeing um, uh, a lot of turnover, a lot of movement, um, not many people around them hitting metrics and goals, um, given the experience you all have, what is the advice that you would share? Got you one first. Go ahead. Well, I think there's a couple of them, right? And this is a, a, I have these conversations fairly regularly. Um, one of them is, is trying to do some level of an internal debrief. Like what's going on internally? Like, you know, what, what do you feel is happening? Right. What do you feel is your success? And then oftentimes I'll say, well, tell me about when you were successful. What was that like? What's changed in those moments? Sometimes it's in their actual current role. It could be a, a different time in their life. And I would say, well, what changed? When, when did that change? And, and, that's that becomes a quick enlightenment moment for them to <clears throat> understand and, and start their their path right to get them to get them to buy into the path um so that's the first thing i would do and then the other one i would ask them well, you know, what are you doing to improve yourself right what are you doing to lean in like i was saying earlier i need to lean in harder and people's joys and see where i can learn from that see what i can learn from that and or enjoy being joyful for someone else be happy for somebody else like when you know your kid i remember the first time you know Bodhi was never a great swimmer but the first time he won like a heat ribbon i actually i knew he was going to win it and i had a camera and i captured the look on his face and he's like because he never had that and i actually have a picture of that and that's pure joy and i can lean into that because it wasn't about me it was about him and you know, letting him have that picture so he can remember that what joy looks like. Like, so trying to find moments like that for people. Um, I, I also ask them, well, what have you been doing right? What, what's, what are three things you've done right recently? So I sort of get into a little bit more on the psychology side of it, um, into the mindset. Um, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't coach them on tacticals too. So, uh, but I'll pause there just in the interest of time. So let's jump in. I think number one, you have to treat building and growing a network like a KPI that has to be hit every single day, whether it's a way to find new career opportunities, new partnership opportunities, new deals, new pipeline, whatever. Um, that's the first place I would start. I know people have been preaching this for quite a while in terms of brand building and building your network to kind of put yourself out there and all that kind of thing. But I actually think it's going to be the only way that we can get deals done pretty soon. So 
That's number one. Um, number two would be stop expecting things to return to the way that they were. That's not going to happen. People are not suddenly going to revert back to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, often they answer cold calls or how often they respond to cold emails and things like that. So I think you need to recognize that the, the ground has shifted underneath you and therefore you need to adapt and adjust your, your selling strategies and your go-to-market strategies, not just the men, not just the messaging, but the strategy altogether. Um, and then I'd probably also recommend um, finding a group of people who act as like a community for you, right? It could be a, a large virtual community, a micro virtual community, an offline community, friends, colleagues, mentors, whatever. Like we need a support system of some sort to bounce ideas off of, to vent to, to uh, learn from, to share with, all that kind of thing. I think that that stuff has never been more important. It's it's a lot. It's easy to get isolated when you're working from home or even in a hybrid kind of environment. So um, those would be the three things that I would tell people to focus on. Thank you. Um, I also have one other question for you guys, and I you know I I forget to ask this, and even when I'm when I'm speaking in front of people, and this is a little bit of a selfish plug here. I have a second book coming out this year, and it's going to be called Audacious: um, Colon Uncaging Your Authentic Self. And what I do in this book is I actually define the five elements of what it means to be audacious. Um, and uh, the book hasn't been released yet. Information hasn't been made public yet. But what I like to ask people is, especially in a selling environment, you always hear about big, hairy, audacious goals. Can you guys give me your individual definitions of what it means to be audacious? I get I, Scott, you confirmed this. Sometimes I think I'm being audacious and I'm really being obnoxious. Like I, I have a balance there that, that I feel. And so, so I like that you said that because I never thought about it the way till then. So I think for me, it means being mindful about how you set your goals to be audacious. That doesn't mean be weak minded and it doesn't mean hold back, right? You know, I, I said, you know, I had this goal to be in my last relationship by 27. Well, I didn't. Well, I then went and got some therapy so I could get into a real relationship. You know, I, you know, wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. Didn't happen. Right. I've got other things going on that, that help, help me achieve that or and get even closer and, and beyond that. So I don't think it's wrong. So the, anyway, that's my definition. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up there. So I, I just don't want people to walk out going, Oh, what if I set an obnoxious goal? Maybe obnoxious is the right thing for somebody. Maybe that is how they should set their goals because that's their personality. I don't know if you're using the word appropriately or not, Richard. Fair enough. I think that there's there's two different types of audacity and being audacious. There's there's the manner in, in, in which you set goals for yourself and you dream big you try to do something like spectacular that's a, that's internal to me like I, I have the audacity to think that i can build a billion dollar company that's not my 
attitude or behavior interactions with others. Audacious in terms of behavior to me is somebody that demonstrates lack of respect uh, for others or it bleeds over noxious or rude, things like that. So they're like, the word to me has two different elements. There's like my behavior and my attitude, and that one has negative connotation to me. And then there's my internal audacity, which is like, am I courageous, bold? Am I taking big swings and risks on things that doesn't in any way prove to be injurious to others? I love that. Thank you, guys. I mean, it's something that I'm I'm trying to get feelers on from everybody now as I, I put the words together. And it's almost wrapped up on, on my end. Uh, but I also want to make sure that the information I'm putting out there isn't going to th throw anybody off too much when they see it. Uh, it but, hell, Richard and I don't even fully agree on the <laughs> the definition of, of, of the word. And by I, the way, both of us might be completely wrong. So who knows? <laughs> so that's what I love about the word is that I feel like it's thrown around a lot, especially in, right, you know, you have sales managers all over, all over in different industries saying, throw that audacious goal on paper. I want you to share your audacious goal with everybody on this team. And I think that there actually hasn't been a definition out there or just kind of a description of, of what that means. And for, for me personally, I've always taken that positive aspect, Scott, of like, those things that I dream, like write a book, start a podcast, like those are audacious, were audacious goals at one point that I just kind of put into the universe. Um, but I, I've always been looking to kind of define that word. So I appreciate you both for uh, for giving those answers. And again, for having me on, it was a pleasure being here today. Yeah, we we enjoyed it a lot. Check out Break Barriers and look for Bishoy's next book all about audacious and audacity. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Surf and Sales podcast. Thanks for showing. Thank you both.